You are listening to Rouge, White, and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Welcome to the Rouge, White, and Blue CFL Podcast, the opening day 2019 edition. My name's Oz Davis, so I'll be your co-host for the show now in its, what, fourth season, I believe. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, also in his fourth season, Joe Pritchard. Joe, how's it going? Uh, it's June in Wisconsin, which means it's, you know, 60 degrees and raining. So, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I'm just going to get right into it, Joe, because we talked to it before the show, and I, I'm just going to get you while you're still steaming a little bit. Uh, I understand that you're not thrilled out of your mind for opening day. I, I imagine, uh, I understand that you're not, like, you know, on the edge of your seat waiting for tomorrow night's game as we record this. Well, it's been a long off season. We had all the crap going on with the AAF and all the talk about how, ooh, it was going to be a dire threat to the CFL, and then it you know dies eight weeks into its existence. But it was still a long, exhausting couple of months of hearing that crap. The CBA took a little bit longer than people thought it would, and there was some potential controversies that I'm not well-versed enough in to put out publicly what I feel about that, but let's just say I wasn't a happy camper when (laughs) push came to shove on how that all turned out. And then now, coming up to, what, a day before kickoff, we find out that apparently as long as you shove an official in the East final – or the West final, I suppose, but it ha- this one happened to be in the East final and get your appeal to let and appeal so that uh, it doesn't come up uh, until the Grey Cup is over that, you know, people just forget about it and not actually try to punish you. Besides, you know, uh, it sounds like a max fine was levied to Jonathan Rose is my understanding. But given what he did, I uh, literally take two hands shove on an official, not sitting for a game at some point rubs me the wrong way and i don't know precisely how that turned out to be the case because uh, there was really no official announcement uh, farhan lalji pulled out or let us know what happened but there was no official announcement by the league or the pa that i could see anyway uh, it feels like they were just trying to slip that one under the radar and hope that nobody would remember it yeah, 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 yeah. That was a big deal. That was uh, he got to play in the in the Grey Cup, and uh, that kicked up a lot of dust at the time. And yeah, the fact that he doesn't miss games this year is is pretty outrageous. Um, Mind-boggling. I, I'm going to admit. Plus the plus the fact that we kind we find, have to find out about it secondhand. It's like, well, who's it, proud? Somebody is who's proud. Who's proud about that? Who's going to announce that? You know, <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine that they'd be thrilled about it. But nobody even knew it was happening, yeah. or an appeal was actually finally talked about. It sounds like my understanding is that it happened after the CBA was signed, the new CBA was signed for. But mm. given how controversial it was and what a big deal it was, 
hands on an official in a violent manner, and that doesn't even get a game. I, I'm sorry, I cannot. I, I cannot be happy with that. I don't care. I don't care honestly how that came to be. It's terrible. Okay, well, okay, I'm. I agree with you one hundred. I agree with you one hundred percent. You're absolutely right. Uh, you know, of course, I was one of those at the time who thought that you know, he shouldn't have played in that game. Uh, there was a lot of arguments. The, the the thing is, I remember at the time, people were, you know, of course they're going to appeal this. It's almost like automatic, right? You know that this is going to get appealed. And the whining and such on the part of the league and for the apologists was just, like, oh, it's going to take too long. Right? Oh, we can't hear this until and I was one of those folks of the opinion. It's just like, no, bullshit. Get arbitration. You know, do your arbitration. All that takes is two, three people and their various legal representatives to meet for a judge to hear it, both sides, and then make a call one way or the other. That's it. That's it. They could have done that. They could have done that. Everybody would have been happy except for the Ottawa Blacks defensive coordinator. And, you know, we move on. But... I don't know what made them choose this alternate route. Yeah, and we don't know why. We don't know what the process was. It was completely opaque. There was no transparency to this whatsoever. Right. All of a sudden, we're just finding out. Like, it, I, I feel like we heard a little bit of a whiff of it earlier this week that, oh, yeah, Rose is actually expected to play this week. And I'm like, mm, I, I don't know how that could be. But then with with the tweet today that blew up all over CFL Twitter, it's obvious that something happened. Nobody that's paint. Nobody knows how it happened or why or what the agreement was. But all of a sudden, yeah, it's fine. He could just go play. I, I, I don't know how you come to that conclusion. Well, the conclusion you come to is that this is a it's, this is an early blemish. Mr. Ambrosi's record. You, you brought up the T word, transparency. That's what I was going to say. They said, yep. Well, there goes the transparency. Now, um, I guess being the cynic, usually I'm the cynic and you're the optimist. Um, I guess I'm just trying to, I'm hoping that, you know, just seeing some football again would be a positive thing. I sure, I sure hope so too, because I, I hope once this season gets going, have a couple great games the early week, have some intriguing matchups the first couple weeks to suck me right back into it because I don't like the way I'm feeling right now, mm. to be honest. I don't wow. like sitting here and thinking that the league blew something. But in this case, whatever the agreement was between the league and the PA for this, it was the wrong thing. And I can't – there's nothing – no way I can make my – make myself feel any differently it's just mm -hmm. that egregious of a mistake well you still want to do the rest of the podcast right? oh yeah I mean, <laughs> we're here right right <laughs> okay all right well be that as it may yes um actually not quite yet <laughs> what's going to be interesting is if something happens like this again you know what happens what happens middle of the season Something like this happens again, you know, and 
Yeah, exactly. Because you know the first thing that the Players Association would do when they appeal is say, look at the precedent. Look at what happened to Jonathan Rose. He did this, which is much less than what my client did, brushing against that official in this hypothetical situation. He just brushed him or he just laid a hand on him. Look at what Rose did last year, and he only got a max fine, so my player better also get a max fine. Right, right, right. Exactly. exactly. And if they and if the players' association doesn't take that art that tack in that argument, they're not doing their jobs. Well, yeah, they have to, and you would hope that they would lose that argument, right? But yes, I, exactly. I would hope so too. But that's the argument they have to take now. And then it's when, been gift wrapped to them. When this situation happens, here we go again, right? Because when this situation happens, no matter what decision is made about player X, no one's going to be happy. Right. And, and and what the only thing that will change that is that that precedent continues yep. would be the, for the officials to take a stand. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's where we're headed. If this is if that's if this happens a couple times this year, how long are the officials going to stand there and go, OK, it's only a max fine if they touch me. Well, I'm not going to stand for that. <laughs> Gee, if the CFL were an American league, maybe uh, the president would suggest that we just arm the officials. <laughs> in any case, oh, wouldn't my. that make it exciting? It would look like the last Boy Scout out there. Oh, boy. In any case. I'm not touching that one. <laughs> You're in a borderline state. You're in a battleground state, I mean. But in any case, let, let's, let's, let's stay on football. See, there are things worse than the CFL, Gene. In any case, I didn't say I didn't say I hate the CFL. I didn't say that I'm ups- I am upset yes. with this specific thing today, mm-hmm. and hopefully it wears off and I can enjoy week one. I'm sure you will. You're going to be on one of the most successful. Uh, you're the fan of the most successful team in the league this year, right, Joe? But in any case, before we start talking about who's going to play and how they're going to play next season, let's talk about one guy who's not going to play next season uh this is today as we record this would be wednesday the 12th of june um the announcement was made on the rod peterson show so hey rod breaks a story there that on his 40th birthday kevin glenn 18 year veteran of the cfl has retired of course he kevin glenn is the guy who led winnipeg to their last Grey Cup. Um, of course, he spent the last what? You know, according to the official story on the website, he spent what? The last seven, eight years of his career as mostly as a backup quarterback in the CFL. And in that time, earned the distinction of becoming the first player to play for all nine teams. Um, of course, the joke has been made. You know, he should have stuck around to play on Atlantic. Uh, in a couple of years, so I, I'll spare you that joke. Oops, I did it anyway. But uh, actually, on that note, Joe, I had one theoretical question for you. You might like this one. Okay, so traditionally, when you go into the Hall of Fame, right, you have to pick that team that is immortalized with you on your uniform or your ball cap in baseball, whatever. Um, now, I don't really think Kevin Glenn is going to have the numbers to, to be in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, but if he were, which team jersey would he be wearing? Probably Halifax, right? <laughs> he's got to wear He's got to wear it at some point, right? <laughs> so, 
he goes into the Hall of Fame wearing, say, number 17 for Halifax, and then they immediately retire the number. <laughs> I- I'm on board. <laughs> That's amazing, Joe. Okay, now all of a sudden I want Kevin Glenn in the Hall of Fame. Um, <laughs> d- how much do you remember of the uh, 2007 run? Uh, well, so you're forgetting Buck Pierce. Which I can't blame you for, because um, he was in, he was in and out of the lineup a lot for the Bombers due to injury. I mean, t- it's tough tough as nails, but his body just couldn't keep up with it, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so the 2011 run was the last one the Bombers had. But I do oh, remember sorry. the 2007 run. Glenn was the quarterback at that point when I started to be a Bomber fan, probably in the off season between 2004 and 2005. So Glenn is pro- well, probably the longest standing starting quarterback since that time, four seasons. Uh, Pierce might have – no, I don't think Pierce even lasted that long. Uh, and Nichols is hopefully going to get there and beyond. Because <laughs> 16, 16 is when he took – yes, so this year would push Nichols past once he gets to a certain point, I believe, 16, 17, 18. Well, you have to finish this year and go into the next. But, yeah, well, so hopefully Nichols passes that. But, yeah, uh, Glenn was probably um, one of the more successful bomber quarterbacks in the last 15 years. I, everybody after Kari Jones is it probably goes Glenn and Nichols at some at some and hopefully Nichols passes that, but uh, Glenn has to be in that conversation too. Uh, yeah, I do remember seeing him play a few times, uh, three times in Saskatchewan on three consecutive Labor Days. Uh, those did not end up all that well for the bombers but that 2007 was at least a classic and fun to watch and i can still remember sitting there because i couldn't see the eastern final that year because it was not on uh tv but the gray cup was going to be because it was some i think it was like out of colorado is how i got it like a sports net network out of colorado would show random games but like altitude altitude would show it more often that and so we actually got an extra sports package just for me to see like the (laughs) 10 or 15 games they'd show that year wow and his final happened not to be one of them but i could just sit there i aming with my friend back in the day when you did that sort of thing instead of texting and it's like all excited they're gonna go to the gray cup they're gonna go to the gray cup and then oh shit Yes, but. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I have very little doubt in my head that if he doesn't break his arm at the end of that game, and I even remember there was talk that week that can they shoot him up? Can he still play? It's like he's got a broken arm. How can you even think about that? But there was that talk because of the Bombers were that desperate to win the thing at that point. Good Lord, think of what they would do these today. <laughs> But I have very little doubt in my little bomber fan heart that they win that cup that year if Glenn plays, and we're not talking about a legacy as far as does he have the numbers. Somebody would we'd be able to point to a championship and say, yeah, he did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that gets him in right with all, with everything else, but that's just not the way it fell. And then I feel like I still, to this day, cannot believe that they gave up on him after 2008. I just don't believe, can't believe that. Yeah, yeah, pulled the trigger a little too quickly on that. 
Yeah, same as Michael Bishop. He definitely pulled the trigger a little bit too early a lot of times and then overshot his receiver. (laughs) But I digress. (laughs) Well, pretty interesting that, uh, you know, Glenn, despite being a backup uh, for many, many years, nevertheless still averaged uh, about 15 games a year and uh, threw for about 200 yards per game over 268 games. Uh, more than a touchdown. Because you remember game. the Kevin Glenn curse, right? Every time he'd go back up right. somewhere, he'd end up starting there. Right, right. Oh, yeah. He did it, what, twice in Montreal? <laughs> yeah, I remember. <laughs> um, in any case, yeah, I don't think he would be in the Hall of Fame with that Montreal Alliance jersey. In any case, a classic player literally played uh, until tomorrow the entire 21st century in the CFL. Uh, an all time classic icon really in the game has retired again looking forward to seeing you in the hall of fame in that halifax uniform mr glenn happy birthday and uh, best of luck to you for the next segment of course joe and i are tremendous geeks i'm sure that joe like myself has been doing this pretty much as long as he could write on lined paper uh, making the predictions for the cfl for the league before the season starts course these things always end up being complete folly and it always looks like we don't know what we're talking about because hey that's professional sports uh joe and i were lucky enough to participate this year in the league's uh media poll the official poll of the cfl and what they do is the before the season they ask about two dozen questions all predictive questions about the season to this year they threw in a few wacky and, in my opinion, unanswerable questions. But you know, basically, if you go through the entire uh, sheet, you get a pretty good idea of what of how you think the season's going to go down and how 50, I guess, 50, uh, 40 to 50 media members on any given question predict uh, the outcome for the season. So, in any case, uh, Joe... Why don't we just start at the top? You know, they started this survey with who's going to win the West, who's going to win the East, and who's going to win the Great Cup. Okay. You want me to go with all three of those, or do we talk West first or Um, East? Okay. Let's talk East first, okay? Because there may be less to say. Of course, the results for that one, who's going to win the East, turned out 89%. Uh, by the media for the obvious choice, the Montreal Alouettes. No, I mean the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I'm sorry, I read that upside down. Montreal Alouettes stunningly got 0% of the vote uh, in this question. Um, Hamilton, of course, is the easy choice. The hand-picked successor of June Jones, Orlando Steinauer is there. Um, or, you know, quarterback Jeremiah Masoli appears to still be on an upward trajectory to becoming uh, an all-time elite quarterback in the CFL, potentially. Uh, so all signs point to up for Hamilton this season. Now, this is a season that ha- uh, this is this is a team that hasn't won more than eleven games since. Jeez, I forget. It was the 1990s. Uh, was the last time they won more than eleven games in a season? Uh, do you have them winning the East? And how many games can they win? I do have them winning the East, but uh, it's not going to be a runaway. 
because they're just not that type of team. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, but how how long have we, we've been doing this. This is our fourth full season. And there's a couple seasons. I was pretty invested in it before we got started here. And Hamilton's the same every year. They are somewhere between six and 10 wins and driving their fan base and other fan bases that are, and other fans that believe in them absolutely bonkers with their inconsistency. It's like, but here's the thing. They're consistently inconsistent. It's like every year there's some sort of, it feels like there's a streak both ways where you feel like you're going up or down. And then later on it goes the other way and you just don't know what to make of them by the end of things. So I think we're going to see another season like that. I have them going 10 and eight, but Let's talk about who I have in second offhand. Yes, okay, go for it. So week 20 happens to be a game in Montreal between Hamilton and Montreal. I think that game determines the division. I think Hamilton wins it because they're far more talented, but I think Montreal at least gives a good accounting of themselves and finishes 8-10 and 10 this year because Kahari Jones at least knows what a CFL football team is supposed to look like as wow. opposed to Mike Sherman, who just got shoved out the door. I think if they can, if they can just leave Antonio Pipkin alone, give him at least half the season to show what he can do, Worst case scenario, if he shows he can't do it, go to Vernon Adams and give him the second half of the season. But if they could just show some consistency and get behind one of these quarterbacks and let them go, I don't think they're as bad as people make them out to be. Wow. I like that pick. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I don't agree with it. <laughs> but I like that. Uh, I've got I've got the Hamilton. I've got Hamilton at 11 and 7. Uh, I, I just think that they're kind of the class of this division. I think that, um, you know, once again, just coming into the season, Toronto seems incomplete. Um, Ottawa, I understand there's a lot of optimism in Ottawa, despite what happened to them in the off season. I and there always is. There always is. Right, uh, right. But they, their offense got torn to pieces. And they, and let's put it this way. The last homegrown Bombers court, the last quarterback the Bombers home grew that turned out to be much of anything uh, was a guy by the name of Dieter Brock. So if the Bombers are giving up on a homegrown guy of their own and you end up with him, what are you exactly getting again? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Gee, that's too bad because uh, that could be one heck of a story. If he succeeds in Ottawa, I mean, this is a guy who's been a backup in the NFL and the CFL for, I believe, eight seasons, backing up Matt Ryan, backing up Trevor Harris, backing up these guys. And, you know, now he finally gets it started. He won the job in uh, the preseason. He took it away from um, uh, JJ. And so, you know, I was I'm kind of pulling for him a little bit. I'm kind of pulling for him. Uh, I'm hoping that. You know, he does well. And the other thing is, you know, I'm just being superstitious and I'm not going to underestimate Ottawa anymore. I'm just not. Um, uh, one of the th- one of the other things I like about Hamilton, too, is that you talk about being streaky and stuff. I think a lot of that just has to do that. Uh, they're playing in the East and uh, the East has been pretty, as journalists like to describe it, hapless 
in these in these past several years. And so I think they just get a lot of wins from that. I'll tell you what, I think they close the season with at least four out of the last five against the East. So, you know, Hamilton's, again, going to be in charge of their own destiny coming down the stretch. And I, I just think they're a lot better than these teams. Now, the Alouettes, I think, are the worst team in the league. So, you know, part of that is me being pessimistic. But, you know, I mean, again, you have – I do like Kari Jones. You know, it's funny because uh, part of this survey is about um, which coach – would you like to have coaching your team from scratch? And, uh, you know, of course, the overwhelming choice there is Dickinson of Calgary. Who else are you going to go with? Right? And the, But the other one was, and this was, I think this one took me the longest to think about, was which assistant coach or coordinator would you choose to be a head coach of a CFL team? And, and at that point, you could have answered Sherman to the former question and Kari Jones to the latter question. And what was interesting is in the latter question, which assistant coach do you think should move up? Kari Jones, he wasn't even on the board, basically. I mean, the top two vote getters there were, of course, uh, Thorpe and uh, Jackson in uh, Calgary. So, you know, um, so, but I like Kari Jones. I like the Kari Jones move up. I think he's got the pedigree. I think he's got the both as the player and as the assistant coach uh, slash coordinator. Um, you know, again, like he's he's a hero to my co-host. Uh, so you know, I I like the Kari Jones hire. I just, I mean, wow, there's just nothing on that roster. I like Standback at wide receiver. This was another part of the poll, which was um, which who will lead the CFL in running yards. And uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about, about that more later because that list was pretty impressive. The list of choices shows that there are some good runners in the CFL this year. But I was thinking about putting Stan back in, you know, to lead the league in rushing. But, you know, again, I just don't know if they're going to have the ball that often. I just don't know if the Alouettes are going to have to lead that often this year. Well, they do have Posey for playmaking ability, too. So there's yeah. the cupboard isn't entirely bare. Oh, no, of course not. Oh, no, of course not. I mean, my uh, my most underrated player in the league is on is on the Alouettes. So so, you know, they, I mean, there is some talent there. It's just, you know, all of the, it's just like last year, you know, last year at certain points in the season. So many of these East teams felt incomplete, you know, and in the case of Ottawa, it felt like they just couldn't put a whole game together. You know, they couldn't just play for the whole 60 minutes of a good game. And and this year kind of feels the same way. It kind of feels like these are incomplete teams. Maybe Hamilton is, is more stocked than the rest of them, but I don't know. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Hamilton, Ottawa, Toronto. <laughs> and, and actually, I have another stunning result for you, but we can talk about that in a minute. Okay, how do you, how do you see the West? So let's talk about how I usually view the Bombers. I'm usually <laughs> rather pessimistic about them, don't you think? Uh, you, yes. At best, you are cautiously optimistic. In the last two seasons, I've actually been cheerleading you on this, and you've been trying real hard not to jinx. Yep. Uh, this year, I'm throwing that all out the window. I have the Bombers winning the West. Woo! All right. Go on. I believe the press came out in a tie on this one no no uh the bombers were 48 percent. the stamps were were 34 percent oh bc came in and started and threw their weight around a bit 
Uh, Edmonton even got votes, but yeah. guess who didn't get votes? And guess who wasn't happy about it? Well, guess who I've got picked to be last in this division? I mean, it's hard to imagine Saskatchewan having much of a much of a season when the top three teams in the West look really good, when Chris Jones kind of laid waste to that entire team. And unlike my pick to win this division, the BC Lions, the Riders got demonstrably older at almost every position on the field. Now, the Riders look great on paper, but, and I know it's kind of taboo to say stuff like this, and I know, the, you know, ordinary Joes aren't really supposed to say this, but, I mean, that's, it's kind of a lot of guys on the downside of their career a little bit, you know? Uh, right, and, and I don't even think they look that great on paper, to be honest, because... Well, they got a lot of names, is the thing, you know? Right, like, I guess I'm thinking the statistical side, but you go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's the thing, right? It's 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 the familiar names that are there, right? And so I think, especially in Saskatchewan, it, there's going to be wowed by this team. You know, it's oh wow, look at all the stars, and you know, it, it, it'll look great. You know, it's an autograph team, <laughs> you know. But I just don't know. And, and and the thing is, you know, the, the gap left by Jones, even though he left, like, really soon after the season, which was good, good for the organization, still, he had so much control over that team for so long and manipulated that roster in so many ways so frequently. It's just like, what are you left with? What are you left with? You know, this is a team that has to start over again, I think. Right. Uh, they did finish 12-6 and six last year, uh, but their scoring – and their yardage right. told me that they were more, they were closer to 500 than that record would indicate, because you're not going to get nearly as many defensive touchdowns as they got last year. They had a ridiculous number. I don't have that number offhand, but it was something you're not going to see them repeat. Even if they get half of what they did last year, it's still going to impact their record substantially. You're right about them getting a little bit older. And I do think that there is a drop-off between uh, Jones and Dickinson. Not to say that Craig Dickinson is not a good head coach, but A, this is Jones's team that he put together for the most part. And B, Dickinson is in his first year, whereas Jones yeah. had had how many years to uh, hone his craft? Uh, there's, got, there's a little – I don't think that's a huge drop-off, but there's got to be something there, unless uh, Dickinson's a complete prodigy, which – Given who his brother is, could be a, uh, could be a possibility, honestly. Well, uh, but here's one other historical note that I think you'll like. Okay. So since the Ron Lancaster era ended, how many times have the Saskatchewan Rough Riders finished first in the West during the regular season? Wow. Uh, one. One, and that happened in 2009. Right. Right, we'll right. speak no further of that season for, for the benefit of our Ryder fan friends. Uh, but they have, and yes, they have won great cups, and yes, they have won more than the Bombers in the last, you know, thirty years. Yes, 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 I know all that. Uh, but they, they're, it, it's weird for a organization that over the last twenty years, I would say, has been a pretty de in pretty decent shape financially, if not the top tier of the CFL over the last decade for sure that that's the best that they can do is one over the past what 40 plus years yeah 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 this is not enough 
This is not enough. No, I, and I, I guess I'm a little bit surprised I didn't get there over the past few, except for that Calgary still hasn't come down. I do notice that, however, that neither of us are picking Calgary. I do have them at 12 and 6 and the Bombers at 13 and 5. I, so I don't have them falling off. I just have the Bombers making that leap this year. Okay, I've got BC Lions on 13 and 5. Uh, 13 and 5. Now, I've been really dogmatic about this ever since free agency opened, and they just went out there and killed it. And a lot of people are talking about what Edmonton did uh, and what they did to Ottawa. But I feel like what Edmonton did was in response to the BC Lions move. Um, if I were a BC Lions fan, and if I were in the BC Lions marketing department, I would be very excited about this season. I mean, you've got an exciting new coaching staff. You've got uh, Riley in there. And, and what I was going to say before is I listed, uh, as I was writing up a piece for CFL Past on CA today, I listed their seven uh, top free agents that they signed, probably all of whom will be starting. And except for Riley, all of them are under 28. Okay? That's how you sign free agents, Rough yep. Riders. I, That's what you do. You get guys peaking, <laughs> you know, not past the peak. You know, uh, that's good for ticket sales. But on the field, I think that translates into 13 wins for BC Lions. Okay. And here's why I don't think it does. Okay. Just because they made so many changes this offseason, uh, the, all the coaching staff changes, mm -hmm. all of the roster changes, uh, given it's a young coaching staff, and Clay Brooks is a fantastic defensive coach, there's no doubt about that whatsoever in my mind. My question in this case is, can he bring that young staff together? Because there's a lot of former players and players just retired over the past few years. Can he bring all of that group together into a cohesive coaching staff right off the hop? Because if he can, that's going to be huge. Uh, and if they can do that, plus get all this diverse talent together marching to the beat of that same drummer right away, I can absolutely see that. Yeah. I just think that's a tall task. I could see them starting off slowly. And by slowly, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at like a three and six or a two and seven record. And wow. then them just getting hot as everything once they get it together. I don't think it's going to take them too long to do so. I just think asking for it off of opening day is too much. Uh, but that's once they really get it together, I think that they become the team you don't want to face in the playoffs as they show up and I believe I had them third place. Hang on. Third place at 10 and eight. Ten and eight. I just think it takes them a little bit too long to get their wheels to get their wheels spinning all in the right See, direction. That's, that's really interesting. Wow. That's wow. Interesting. Okay. I can, I can see that viewpoint, but look, here's another thing. And I know I kind of beat a dead horse about this last season, but I believe that there are two teams that have a, an outstanding, um, home field advantage at certain times of the year, and in the case of the BC Lions, all year. I mean, the truth is is that the, the, the Lions were a pretty mediocre team last year, and they started 8-0 at home. This team can't go 8-1 and at home? Of course they can. Of course they can. You know, that advantage is massive for BC. And, that'll and plus, they get to beat up on the East a bunch of times. 
<laughs> I mean, you know, and they get to play Saskatchewan twice. I mean, they're going to, BC is going to get some wins based on just playing on the West Coast. I would be surprised, too, if they got off to that slowest start because, you know, Riley. Yeah, and Riley's going to win a better line. Them. He'll win them a game or two at the beginning that they had no right to win. That's for sure. And that could change that three and six to a five and four. And then that that second half and that second half streak then could take them all the way to the division at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. I've got the stamps at 11 and seven and losing a tiebreaker to your bombers. Why are, well, in the media poll, it was interesting because as you said, they had the stamps, the most, the second most popular pick to win the West, but they were tied for the most popular pick to win the Grey Cup. Okay. Now, the book has them as the favorite to win the Grey Cup. They're at about five to two, I think 275 plus 275. But here's the thing. The Lions are at plus 300. The Stamps are defending champs. You know, the Stamps got Dickinson as head coach still. The Stamps got Bo Levy-Mitchell, the winningest quarterback in CFL history, maybe even the winningest player in CFL history at this point. Um, What's the deal here? Why are people so down on the Stamps, in your opinion? And by down, we're saying 11 and 12 wins instead of 14. But But I, I made the same argument last year when I picked them. I think I picked them to win the division. But finish at like 12 and 6, which is about the same as where I'm going yes. here, except I have them finishing second. Okay. You can only lose so, uh, foundational pieces of your team so often before it really starts to impact it. And in this case, they lose both Singleton and the guy that made their defense hum as the defensive coordinator, among others. They And last year, it was body blows with Charleston Hughes and a few others, too. It's like, how how... How long can you take that many hits to your foundation before some sort of crack shows up? Given it's Calgary, they're going to be able to patch it over no matter what it is. But there's only so much patching up you can do sometimes before you slide away from elite to just very good. And that's where I've got them this year. Yeah, there was – if you remember last year, that defense was keeping them in games for the first half of the season where the offense just looked like you know the bear coming out of hibernation you know for so long and the defense was just on that ridiculous run where they were you know trending to to end the season with 100 fewer points than the all-time best defense ever you know and now the dc is gone and now the only name receiver for bo levy is eric rogers wow yeah, that is a lot of hits, and it's amazing that we're talking so negatively about a team that we both figure is going to be 11 and seven. And a, a, a great many uh, journalists believe that, despite not winning the division, are going to win the Great Cup. Anyway, <laughs> now here's the other thing too. Here's the, here's a, a, a big plus for Calgary: the schedule makers were so kind to them. Calgary, of course, and this is one thing I've been harping on for the past three or four years, despite how good their final record is, they really have a hard time getting started at the beginning of the year. They usually end up winning, uh, losing or tying at least one of their first three games. Well, this year, week one at home, week two by, week three at home. 
<laughs> they're even giving Calgary a chance to start the season two and zero, whereas normally they might be what one and one, oh one and one, maybe. Um, so, hey, Calgary is going to get the breaks in that respect. But yeah, I think you may be right. I mean, when you lose, uh, what was the number? It was yeah, thirteen out of twenty-four. Thirteen out of twenty-four starters. That's a lot, even for the resilience stamps. It looks a lot like that year after Jones and the Eskimos won the Grey Cup and what happened to them uh, about how they were just completely stripped on offense and defense and, you know, they lost out in the playoffs that year. Um, Okay. What about the Eskimos? I don't think it's going to work. I just, there's something in my gut saying that this just isn't going to work. Wow. Uh, Joe, I got to tell you, I got to, you can go on in just a second, but I got to tell you, that is exactly how I feel. That is exactly more or less what I was going to say. And I don't really have a justification as to why I feel this way. Uh, Their linebacking core looks like it's going to be great. Their defensive line looks like it's going to be great. Uh, they did at least patch the damage from losing Riley. They picked up Ellingson to fill in some of the receiving holes that they ended up having blown into that. But given that last year was 9-9 nine nine with Riley and with all the receiver talent that they lost, I don't see it going forward. And I think it might be a make-or-break year for not only – Jason Moss, but if it goes poorly enough, and I'm saying 7-11, so I don't think, I'm not going to say it's gone poorly enough for Brock Sunderland, but eesh, I don't know if it's going to be all that comfortable uh, a seat in November for either of those two. Oh, no, I think Moss is out. I think Moss is out. I've, I've got I've got Edmonton at 7-11. Uh, how, about, how about this one? We'll, we'll get back to it in a second, but there was the classic question Will there be a crossover? Will there be a crossover? Of course. Really? I said no. I was one of the 5% that said no. I was one of the 10%, one of the five people out of 50 that said no. But we'll get back to that in a second. Yeah, I think that, I, I, I like you, I have the same feeling. Here's why. Here's my purely logical argument Okay, for this. Both BC and Edmonton essentially reconstructed at least their offense. However, Edmonton, as far as I can see, did not make major improvements on that offensive line. They just didn't. And guess what? More than anything else, that was the Achilles heel of that team last season. And I think it's going to kill him again. The other thing is this. I can't believe that two reconstituted teams are both going to be successful. So I'm picking the Lions. (laughs) I think the Lions got more going for them as far as a slapdash team is concerned, than Edmonton. That's it. Yeah, and that's not to say I don't think that they did a good job in the off season, like trying to patch the holes that they had blown into them. Yeah. They had they had a pretty crappy hand dealt to them, given that Riley was going home. Given that they had players heading to the NFL, they had a tough road to hoe on this, and they did what they could. I just don't think it's enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, again, to me, it kind of felt like every move they made was a response to something that BC uh, had done or, you know, even Ottawa had done 
Um, in fact, the book has Edmonton as the second biggest long shots to win the Great Cup at 11 to 1. Uh, of course, they're being a tad generous to Montreal at 16 to 1, in my opinion. But there you have it. I mean, literally, uh, the sports book has them as the eighth most likely to win the Great Cup. I mean, they're behind Saskatchewan. Now, some of that may be the money coming in in Saskatchewan. But uh, in any case, the point here is that the sports book doesn't like Edmonton either. Okay, so there will be a crossover this season. Okay, so you maintain that the Eskimos could cross over at 7-Eleven, maybe even win a playoff game. No. And Moss uh, I have, I, I have Edmonton in fifth. I have Saskatchewan at 9-9. Nine nine. And oh, so okay. oh. I have Saskatchewan crossing over, oh, okay. beating Montreal because they do have some playoff experience, and then losing to Hamilton. Okay. Wow, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I just I'm just gonna go boring. I'm just gonna go boring. I'm gonna say uh, Winnipeg outlasts Calgary in the West, but then they lose to BC with that home field advantage, et cetera, et cetera. And I think Toronto is gonna lose to Ottawa, and then Ottawa will probably lose to Hamilton. But and uh, this is kind of a weird pick, I, I have to admit, for the Great Cup because it's two rookie coaches, two two not only. Rookie, uh, not only first-year coaches, of which there are four this year, but rookie coaches. So, uh, but nevertheless, I think uh, the talent is there. Now, do you have the Bombers in the Grey Cup, Joe? Not only do I have the Bombers in the Grey Cup against Hamilton, which means one of these streaks is ending. I also (laughs) have the Bombers ending their streak. Wow. All right. Well, since I don't believe my pony is really going to be in this race, I'm cheering for you, Joe. I I, yep. I hope your guys do it. Uh, I just... don't think they sustained enough losses that they couldn't patch them over. I think they got a heck of a lot better on the defense on the rush part portion of the defense. Uh, Loeffler's loss is obviously going to be felt, but Jefferson and Big Hill, yes, please. Uh, I feel like their receiving core got better, and they've been getting better over the course of the past couple of years. And I think Andrew Harris has one more big year in him. That said, this is their window because yes. I don't. How yes. long is Harris going to last? Big Hill is also getting closer to thirty, uh, and and he could probably stick around for a few more years, of course. But in, in such a physical position, that's a hard ask. And Nichols isn't getting all that much younger either, and they'll probably have to make a decision at the end of the year whether it's Nichols or Streveler going forward, which is a which is a conversation I'd rather put off as long as I can because I don't what I don't really want to think about that at the moment. I think this is going to be their best shot because Calgary is going to have next offseason to reload again because that's what they do. They reload. They do not rebuild. They reload. Uh, this is but. Losing both Singleton and Claybrooks means that they're slightly more vulnerable than usual, which means that they're slightly vulnerable. And I think BC is going to be the team to beat next year. This year, it's almost like they got to do it this year, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's the thing. That's the thing about Winnipeg in 2019 is that this is the culmination of a classic multi-year process. Right? They didn't make that many moves in the offseason. Uh, yeah, they lost Loeffler, uh, but Adam Big Hill came back last year. That was a completely uh, 
game changer as far as I'm concerned because they've been running up the scoreboard for, for years now. Okay, but it was good to have that defensive linchpin in there. Basically, the defensive most outstanding player, in my opinion, pretty much every year. Um, and uh, But that's what it is. They've been rolling with Harris. They've been rolling with Nichols. They've been, they've been going with these guys for years now in the hopes that it's all going to come together. And hopefully Calgary is an offseason <laughs> because that's got to be the formula for coming out of the West. You know, is that... Um, it's almost like it was interesting because I was when I was making up this standings board, I was looking at it. And it's BC versus Winnipeg, I think, for the West. And what that is, it's a super team versus the process. That's what it is. That's what it is. Which one wins? Now, <laughs> you know, I don't know if my pick of BC makes me a cynic, uh, or I'm just blinded by the superstars, but um, I think that's what it comes down to. I think uh, this, yeah, this is the year, Joe. This is it. This is the window. Uh, I hate to break your heart, but I think this is the window. <laughs> so, yeah, I can't, I can't argue with that. I think this is going to be the best chance for at least five years. Okay, uh, just a couple of of these other uh, things on the poll that I wanted to ask you. Um, who'd you have for defensive most outstanding? I think, given that I had the Bombers winning it all and being going doing the run first place taking it all the way i think i picked big hill if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. yeah i know i did now tell me if i'm crazy okay because there was one poll on uh, there's one question on here that said uh okay if you're going to start a cfl team what player would you start with right so it's basically like who's your favorite franchise player it seems to me is the question okay and it was something like bo levy had like 62 percent and mike riley had i think 28 Right. So basically, like everybody's voting for one, and they didn't list what the other what the other five votes had gotten for. Okay. Right. So, and I think that's pretty accurate because you're talking about the two best quarterbacks in the league, as yeah. far as uh, I'm as far as I'm concerned. And Mitchell is like four or five years younger. You have one more window than you would with Riley. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. Oh yeah. Sure. Sure. I'm I'm not criticizing those picks at all. But am I completely insane for having put Adam Big Hill? Why would you not start on the defensive side? Couldn't you? Right, but this is a passing game. This is a you-need-to-put-up-points-to-win game. Your defense mm. is going to be helpful, uh, but your defense isn't going to be the 85 Bears. They are not going to win you the game all by themselves. <laughs> Please see the 2018 Saskatchewan Rough Riders for an example. <laughs> and they literally tried to at some points. And they did pretty darn well, but that didn't last all that long in the playoffs. I did it. <laughs> no, kind of, kind of flamed out there. Uh, okay, let's. See. Not that I'm complaining, mind you. <laughs> uh, let's see. Anything else? I I gotta say, uh, I thought it was kind of weird uh, that the CFL is asking us like, who's the most underrated player? I mean, isn't everybody gonna have their own opinion on that? And, and for example, uh, Luke Tasker somehow won this with like 7% of the vote. It was like three votes uh, as the most underrated player in the Super Bowl. I thought that was kind of a silly question uh, to ask, to be honest. And there was another one that was like that too, where it's just like everybody voted for something different. I think, uh, oh, comeback player of the year. That was one of them. Do you remember who you voted for on that? 
I'm trying to. I'm checking it right <laughs> now. Come back, player. Because some of these choices were surprising. I mean, Solomon Elephantian, really? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Can't I think I had James Franklin just simply because I feel like Tressman did as good of a job as he possibly could of wrecking Franklin's season last year. <laughs> now, Franklin didn't play all that outstanding to begin with, but it's his first time running a franchise. You got to let him go a little bit longer than that before you put in your journeyman backup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. One more really quick. Um, and then we'll, we'll take the break and talk about next week's games. Uh, who did you have for leader of the league in rushing yards? Now here were your choices. And again, I was really impressed uh, with this list. There's uh, Harris, of course, with Winnipeg, William Powell, Saskatchewan, James Wilder, Jr. with Toronto, CJ Gable with Edmonton, William Stanback in Montreal and Don Jackson in Calgary. Who did you, who did you have here? Harris? Yeah, I, I had Harris okay. because he's going to have to. Uh, I feel like it all has. It, it's really weird. I feel like every, every, all cylinders need to be clicking for the bombers to take advantage of this window. I think they can do it. My question is, are they going to? <laughs> okay, so who did you have for most outstanding player then? I couldn't tell you that offhand. It might have been Riley. It might have been. Uh, I'm pretty just sure to... Riley was the most uh, popular. I think. There. Oh, him and Mitchell, but I think I had Riley or Mazzoli. I might, I may, might have actually been Mazzoli, just because of his numbers and the fact that they'll he'll take Hamilton to the cup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who did you have for, uh, or what did you have for the question? I I took Riley for MLB. I just I, most of my answers were BC. Um, so who did you have for? Um, who did you have? Oh, how many uh, passers over 5,000 yards? I think I said four. Four? Okay. All right. Who do you like them to do? I think I've got Riley, Mitchell, Mazzoli for sure. You're right. And then there's room for one more somewhere, okay. whether it's Harris, Nichols, somebody coming out of the woodwork somewhere else. I think four is a good number because it lets, it lets in one surprise. Yeah. Yeah, and that's going to be Antonio Pipkin. That could very well be. (laughs) Right. Let's go to a break, and then we're going to talk, as we love to do when the regular season is on. Next week's games, right after this. The season opens up, and again, before we start this, the season opens up on Thursday night with a game featuring Saskatchewan at Hamilton Tiger Cats. But also on Thursday night is, of course, the the most important game to date for Canadian professional basketball. Now, a lot of people talk about the logic of moving up the CFL season two or three weeks, but I'm going to implore one more time. Please don't. Please don't. You're going to run right into the Stanley Cup playoffs and the NBA playoffs. Please don't. It's perfect right now. Just as NBA season is ending, just as NHL season is ending, CFL is starting. Please keep it here. Okay, Thursday night, opening night. If you're not watching Raptors Warriors, you're watching 
Riders at Hamilton. Riders are three-point underdogs. What do you say, Joe? That sounds actually pretty much perfect. I -hmm. think Hamilton wins it simply on the basis of home field advantage. I do think the Riders still show on defense, make a couple of big plays, and keep it close, especially with defenses being ahead of offenses earlier in the season. But I feel like we saw enough from Mazzoli last year to trust him to make that la- that big drive at the end of games where I wasn't trusting him to do that most of last season. I think he, I think it's, he's finally shown me that, uh, shown me enough that I trust him to make that big drive at the end of the game when it counts. And I think they win like 23 to 20. Hmm. Wow. Uh, I'm going to take Hamilton. I'm going to take Ham- Hamilton for the reasons that you said, but I think, I think they're going to come out strong. I think I think they're going to win handily. They'll win by more than three points in this game. Um, right on Friday, we've got uh, Montreal as ten-point underdogs at Edmonton. You going to surprise me again, Joe? Yes, I am. No, you're not. And I'm going to I'm going to tell you to take Montreal. Uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you to take to take Montreal and be happy that those points are there. Uh, but I think. There's always at least one or two screwy games the first couple weeks of each CFL season. I think this is one of them. And it won't look as screwy at the end of the year when I have Montreal having a game ahead of Edmonton. But it will be it'll be a surprise when it happens. Mm-hmm. And I just think that the team got made addition by subtraction by getting rid of Mike Sherman. Now they know that they have a coach that knows what he's doing, running the show. I think that's going to go a long way toward helping Montreal come together as a team. And again, I'm just not completely sold on Edmonton. And I think uh, Friday night we'll see why. I'm actually going the same way, Joe. I got, huh. I, I got Montreal winning this game outright. I think I don't have any stats to back this up. But I have noticed often with, you know, these plucky teams that are bringing in a new coach and are not expected to do much. You know, it's the Cleveland Browns effect. You come out, especially in those first couple of weeks, and you're like, yeah, we're going to do this. And I think you really it's almost like a playoff mentality where you leave everything on the table. You know, you're, you're breaking out the whole playbook because you want to see what you got. And I think that in a game like this, the emotion can carry. Montreal. I think Kari Jones is a guy that can get his guys fired up. I think he's actually like going to be present, unlike Coach Sherman. And I think that he's actually going to speak his players' language. I think he's going to get them fired up for this game. And I think Edmonton is going to be taking their uh, talent a little bit for granted. There was kind of this really kind of nasty almost story that appeared on the league's website where the kicker on Edmonton was describing how they had gotten rid of some cancers in the locker room. And it was just like, you know, the whole thing was about, yeah, everybody's feeling good and happy and all this stuff. And it's just like, well, (laughs) good for you. Good for you. I hope that helps you win football games, but I bet it doesn't. Now, I was kind of disappointed to read that, actually. It's kind of kind of a cheap shot, especially since he didn't name any names. Um, right. On Saturday, we've got a doubleheader, uh, possibly leaving Sunday open for Game 7 of the NBA Finals, if it happens. 
Dolphins in Toronto, who has a bye week in the CFL. Saturday, first game, we've got Ottawa, six-point underdogs at Calgary in the traditional Grey Cup rematch. Oh, boy. Take Calgary, give the points. Dominic Davis is uh, the first start for Dominic (laughs) Davis as the man in Ottawa in Calgary. Uh, No, thanks. (laughs) Okay, so you're going to be a Dominic Davis uh, truther all year, right? Uh, I'll be a cynic until he shows me something. And I I was waiting for him for a couple of years to take over in Winnipeg, and he just never did. So I, I have my doubts. How about that? I mean, I mean, there there is reason to be cynical. I mean, like I said, here's a guy who's been a backup for eight years. You know, he's never really like seized that brass ring until now. Um, yeah, I've, I'm looking for reasons for Calgary to lose early this season, uh, especially with you know kind of a not very impressive receiving core out there. Uh, I'm kind of looking for them to lose games. I guess probably the best bet in this game is the under. I don't even know what it is, but I'd say probably the under. I bet you're going to see a lot of defense from Calgary. And they're facing up against Ottawa uh, with Coach Thorpe uh, as defensive coordinator. Now, a lot of folks are saying that this is the best transaction that the Red Blacks made in the offseason. I kind of agree. Uh, And I've seen, you know, as as a Montreal fan, I've seen Thorpe take a bunch of cast-offs and no names and make them into a proper defense. You know, so so I believe that he can do something in Ottawa. May not take in game one, but I think this this might just be a good defensive team. I think this game's gonna be low scoring. Calgary might win by more than a touchdown though, so I'll take a minus the six. What the hell? And uh, wow, now here's a game to get fired up about. <laughs> How about this for week one? Winnipeg plus two at BC, a game with playoff implications. Yes, it it is. (laughs) And I'm going to go back to what I said earlier in two different ways. So first of all, we've established that I believe that Winnipeg is probably the most cohesive team at the beginning of the season uh, from last year, and BC is less so. We've we've also talked about the fact that screwy things happen in the first couple weeks. So I think this game is going to be an utter gong show. (laughs) Uh, I think we're going to see a score of like 37 to 34, and there's going to be big swings back and forth in this one. It's going to be one that's going to be worth your while to stay up for because it's a late game. Uh, But I think Winnipeg makes one or two more plays simply because they're more gelled as a team coming out of training camp. I think that's going to be the biggest difference in this one. That's actually a decent argument, and um, I, I I want to say just thanks to the Norse gods that this game is not in Winnipeg. I can't take another one of these like lightning delay games that they always seem to have an opening week up there in Winnipeg. So thank God we're playing in a dome in BC. <laughs> in any case, uh, well, that that is a good argument, and yes, this is something that Winnipeg should have going for them for the first half of the season, really with so many teams having had makeovers, complete makeovers uh, coming into the season. I guess the only other major exception is Hamilton, right? It's basically coming in more or less the same as last year. Um, so, yeah, that is actually a good argument. But I am, I really, really, really am completely closed-minded about this home field advantage thing. Plus, it's a late game on top of it. 
I just can't see it. I, I mean, I like this idea of a shootout. I think that will certainly happen. I think that uh, I hope so, because when Winnipeg has been that scoreboard spinner this past couple of seasons, they've been one of the funnest teams in the CFL to watch. They've been great fun uh, this past couple of years. Uh, win or lose. I know you don't feel that way, but they're usually in tight games, nice high scoring games. But I'm going to take BC. I'll take BC minus two points. In this one. I mean, we got to disagree on something. We do, and and <laughs> I did think about the home field advantage thing, too, especially with the time difference. I think that's actually a good thing for Winnipeg, though, to have the first game be that way. Yes. Because you haven't established your rhythm right. for the season quite yet. So having a game that late, instead of having it, say, week 13 when you're well into what you're doing, yeah. and having that all of a sudden be two hours later than your body's used to, that's one thing. And on like a short week or a long week or something like that. It like right. Totally Where there's something missed. just yeah. – completely weird i i trying to think of who they play or the bombers play away to twice in the west uh but i don't think it's bc but let me yeah i think it's saskatchewan so yeah so they'll get that nine o'clock central start out of the way early yep. and that's a really good thing as far as i'm concerned yep 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 good points all good points all i just you know until until somebody can break that stranglehold bc has in bc place uh yeah i just i'm, I'm gonna ride them all season um the uh I, I wanted to ask you something joe because maybe you know um what's up with week two why why is there only three games in week two do you know i don't really uh just looks I mean, like they got one each day uh, there has to be a few three-game weeks because you have 21 weeks to play 18. So every team's going to have like three bye weeks at that point when you do something like that. Yes. So yes. I think there's a few more weeks of three that are spread out through the calendar. You do get Toronto into the game eventually here. Um, yeah, Toronto goes on the last <laughs> game of week two. My God. Wait right. for it. <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> exactly. And then, it, okay, so then in week two, Calgary, Montreal, and Winnipeg all get buys. Crazy. Okay. And then I guess in week three, then we'll really have a full head of steam up and we'll have four games, including BC at Calgary. Ooh, that should be a good one in week three. All right. Joe, you feel a little better about things? As long as we're talking about the games and not what's going on off the field, I think I'll be fine. Uh, let's not talk about the off the field stuff and for the rest of the night. How about that? Yeah, let's not, man. Let's not. I mean, again, you're looking at your window, man, you're for your team. All right, this is this is going to be a great year for the Rouge, White, and Blue. I think, and hopefully for the CFL in general as well. Um, join me in my optimism, Joe. <laughs> Oh, I have no doubt the on-field product is going to be entertaining. Um, okay, do you? do? Um, what sort of rituals do you follow for week one, David? Uh, no. <laughs> Just go and go and go and watch as much as I can and uh, hope I don't get screamed at too much. I am going to say that uh, to you, Joe, and to our listeners, that Joe, last year when he went to the Great Cup, retrieved and brought back to the states dead or alive a couple of ball caps 
uh, including the official Grey Cup logo ball cap and the Montreal, uh, a nice oversized Montreal Alouettes logo cap. And uh, I have not worn that cap once, Joe. I'm saving it. I'm saving it. I don't know, and I'll ask your opinion on this. I don't know, should I wear it for opening night or should I wear it for the Alouettes opening night? The Alouettes opening night, of course. Okay. All right. I'll hold it for that. Well, you know, because I, I could wear it all weekend. You know, wear it to bed, wear it in the shower. Just well, you could, you could do that. Uh, <laughs> me, meanwhile, uh, I will be planning three trips to go see games this yeah. year. Hopefully yeah. three Bomber games, because okay. there happens to be one in <laughs> Toronto at the beginning of August that happens to work out for something my wife wants to see in Toronto the day before. Okay. So that worked out like as a bonus trip this year uh, i'm not going to turn that down no. and then banjo bowl and gray cup so like i said hopefully three bomber games yeah um and plus you know of course the advantage of going to a toronto game mid-season is there'll be a lot of tickets right uh, i got four rows up behind the bomber bench nice for that kind of experience nice all right that is definitely the advantage of getting up to toronto let me tell you um especially this year probably <laughs> In any case, all right, Joe. Well, you got any last words of wisdom? Uh, the next words of wisdom I give you will be the first. Ah, nice. All right. So for my erudite partner, Joe Pritchard, and myself, Boz Davis, this has been the Rouge, White, and Blue CFL podcast. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the 2019 season. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.